So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites. Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day the Spanish conquered the last Maya kingdom. Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC. And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to For F1's Sake. Uh, I have to fess up, we will not be bringing you a podcast about the Mexico Grand Prix this week. The reason for this is, I'm going to say, it's Terry. It's all Terry. But we're not going to leave you empty-headed. Earlier this season, we did record a few pilots. So let me take you back to June. It's sunny. We're at the Monaco Grand Prix. We're not actually at the Monaco Grand Prix. We're talking about it. You may remember this race. It was where Rosberg won and Hamilton had a terrible pit stop, which he refused to blame himself for. So a lot of other things happened, but we'll let you hear the podcast. Remember, it was earlier this year before of any of the podcasts that you heard. And uh, as you can tell, we're kind of finding our feet, but it's still great, honest. So here it is. Let's travel back in time. It is the Monaco Grand Prix. Hello and welcome to For F1's Sake, the new podcast about the sport that we hate to hate, Formula One. I'm Chica Reyes, and coming up today, we discuss... Phil? A Monegasque calamity by Mercedes-Benz. And I'd like to talk about why Verstappen crashing into Sandivot is very much like him losing his virginity. It'll never be the same again for him. And also Eccleston wanting to crowdsource fixes to our broken sport. So that is all coming up on For F1's Sake. Before we go through the Monaco grid, let's start with a tweet we received. Ooh. So Fiona Lockwood said, if Lewis now loses the championship by 10 points of less, how will this be dealt with? I would imagine that Rosberg will be opening the champagne and Mercedes would be going, oh, well, we've got him locked in for a three-year contract and one of our drivers has won and no one else will care. Yes, I think Mercedes will be gently reminding Lewis that he's getting £100 million. You can't say to Rosberg, oh, go on, let Lewis through in the next race, even though some other teams did that at Monaco, but that's another thing. And I don't want to be controversial, but he didn't have to pit, did he? Huh? So, but why did they stop him? 
well. Well, they told him to pit, but he could have just said, no, I'm not going to do it. No, well, I but mean, in the press conference, Toto said that they told him to stay out, but he was moaning about the tyres. So, is that right? Yes. Well, he bloody well, deserves it. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to, as a driver, have trust in your team and your trust in their decisions. But apparently they only told him to pit about 50 metres before the pit entrance and said, come in, there could be trouble. And he went, OK, you know, fully trusting that they would catch him as he fell backwards. We've also had a text in saying, who is getting fired for the Hamilton fuck-up? What do you say to that? Well, they won't dob him in, will they? they I don't they, think anyone's going to get fired, or maybe all of them will get fired. I mean, Mercedes are trying very hard not to be a, the sort of team that blames people, but we know they're not going to get fired for this, but the next fuck-up... Oh, They'll come out, Total Wolf and Nicky Lauda will come straight out and say, yeah, it was Dave. It was all Dave's decision, but Dave's fired. But Nicky Lauda, who's... You know that his job title is a very weird, like, non-executive chairman, which I'm always like, I'm not really sure what non-executive means. What that means is, as soon as they fuck up, he comes out and goes, they fucked up in there, I'm not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not an executive, they have made a real stinker. Oh, dear. This time around, it does just seem to be a a genuine mistake caused by the the idiosyncrasies of trying to follow the race at Monaco. Because from what I understand, they they don't have GPS tracking of the live live GPS tracking of the cars around Monaco because of the buildings and the tunnel. It doesn't work, which they have at every other track. So consequently, they were going from data at the beginning of the lap, which by the time he actually pitted at the end of the lap was all wrong. And that's what messed it all up. So it sounds like one of these things, just a perfect storm of unfortunatisms. Okay, let's go into our regular rundown of the drivers. Right, starting off with Rosberg. Terry and Phil, you both guessed that this would happen. He is... Only the fourth man to win three in a row at Monaco. He is as good as Senna and Hill and Fangio and Rosberg. Not a chance. I think he should be celebrating because, I mean, he's won the race. Uh, You could argue very validly that he shouldn't have won the race, but that's not his fault. If if you're handed a wonderful present like a Monaco Grand Prix victory, you're going to jump in the air in glee and go and shake hands with the princess. I once found £35 on a bus. That's how Rosberg feels right now. So what have you got to say about Vettel? Anything? Oh my God, I like him now. Did you watch the podium interview with Martin Brundle? Because Brundle was doing a bit of prodding at Lewis, doing a bit with, with Rosberg, who was going, oh God, I'm really happy, but I don't know what to say. And then Brundle just did this thing and said, so we're on a really tense podium here, I'll hand back to the studio. And then Vettel comes up and just goes, I'm happy. I'm I've happy. had a great day. And I was like... I like this guy, and now he's not wiggling his finger in a Red Bull cap. I like him. Okay, so in third, obviously, Hamilton, who I predicted. Hamilton was a surprisingly good loser. Can you imagine if this had happened a couple of years ago? There would have been toys flying from his very expensive pram. He's 30 now. That's what it is. Maybe that's it. And he's just been given 100 million quid. Also, also, I do feel sorry for him, because there's that one picture of him scratching his head, but it looks like he's going, no. And that's the picture that everyone's using. It made me realise that I could never be a proper journalist because every person interviewing him was just basically prodding him to try and make him crack. Oh, how are you feeling right now? How are you feeling? Oh, it must be really shit, mustn't it? You just lost the Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, God, if that happened to me, I'd be fucking shouting or something. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Oh, you're doing it quite well, aren't you? They've just said you smell. <laughs> I'd just be there going, do you want a hug? <laughs> uh, in fourth was Kvyat. It's best ever finish. Uh, Is uh, it uh, behind all the yeah behind all the craziness? I thought he actually drove really well. It was an interesting bit of uh, strategy work by Red Bull towards the end of the race because uh, Kvyat got in front of Ricardo. They qualified the other way around, and Kvyat managed to take the place. And then after all the safety car nonsense, Ricardo was going really well, and Red Bull said to Kvyat, "Let Daniel through and let him have a go at Lewis." 
So Ricardo was sort of trying to have a go at Lewis. It, didn't, it never came to anything. So Red Bull said, right, switch places back again, which I thought was unusual and very sporting, and I can't imagine that ever happening at Mercedes. So in the end, Kvyat finished fourth, but I thought he drove very well. I think it's because Christian Horner's just married Ginger Jerry Halliwell, and he's, he's lost mellowed. the will to live. She spiced up his life. Hey. Okay, at five, So Ricardo. two became one. Spice World the movie. <laughs> I'm not very good at this game. <laughs> so in fifth was Ricardo. Oh, he's very jolly, isn't he? He was a bit pissed off after qualifying, though. He was a little bit, he just kind of had an interview and he was like, I should have been higher than I was. Oh, I'm angry. Not the Ricardo we know and love. He had quite a good little ding-dong just before the uh, the end with Raikkonen, where he basically overtook Raikkonen by shoving him into the, or towards the wall. Uh, good old Raikkonen with a nice message on the radio, was it? He said he was... He said, oh, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> did you see what that guy did to me? It wasn't very nice. Oh! <laughs> Handbags. So what did you think of Raikkonen in six? I'm going to call it, he should retire this year. I've had enough of him. Why? Uh, yeah, it'd be a duller place without him around. It I would like be. him. We all like him, but bless him, he's he's past his best. But he, he comes out with good quotes, and yeah. he's, he's basically comic relief. He's like the Rob Schneider of F1. As a commentator, he'd be even better. He'd be like when James Hunt used to commentate, and you could tell he was having a fag out the window. That's what Kimi Räikkönen would be like. He, he swore at backmarkers again. Uh, he complained that there was no point in getting cast. He basically just complained all the way through it. I would like seriously is for him to drive the new. American team coming next year, the Carl Haas team. Well, he, he used to do a bit of NASCAR, so he's used to the American style of things. And he could bring some NASCAR and excitement. Yeah, and they're a Ferrari-funded team, so Kimi Raikkonen goes to the back of the grid, lots of swearing, lots of entertainment, bang, done. What about in seventh, Perez? Started seventh, finished seventh, did some fuel saving on lap 52. So in eighth, we had Button. Well. Point. Well. I'm reckoning that Alonso is, oh, he's close to blowing now that he didn't get the first points of the year. Oh, those doors are shaking in the McLaren motorhome. Let's not start on Alonso yet. All right, we're not Black males are flying. <laughs> I just feel like Jensen Button is so good at dragging an average car into the points. I, I think he did well. He just basically kept his nose clean, didn't have any problems, got the yeah. car into the points. I don't think he really believed that he was in the points. Did you hear him? Like... On the radio. What? <laughs> okay, so in eighth, NASA. I have nothing to say about it. He certainly did finish ninth. So in tenth, we had Science. Didn't do that well, but then quite cocky because his teammate shoved it into the wall. So he would have walked away feeling happy. Well, I, I think he should. I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, Terry. Um, he, he had a bit of a nightmare because he qualified eighth, which is not bad. And then he decided not to go and see the scrutineers when he was called to the Weybridge after qualifying and so had to start from the pit lane. And to come from the pit lane and finish 10th in the points at Monaco where it's impossible to overtake, I think it's quite impressive. I didn't really see him doing it, but you sort of look at the end and you go, oh, science is there in the points. Yep. Very and he hasn't point. crashed. I think he should be pretty pleased with that. He, uh, he didn't have as an exciting race as his teammate, but on the plus side, he brought it home with all the wheels still on. So in 11th, Hulkenberg. 11 seems like a very fitting place for him these days. Such potential, squandered into nothingness. He had an interesting start to the race because he uh, he made contact with Alonso on lap one and lost his front wing. Or did Alonso make contact with him? Well, you could argue that it was Alonso's fault. And then later on he hit Massa as well and punctured his tyre. Started 11th, finished 11th. So there's an argument to be made that he went around causing destruction and still managed to hold <laughs> position. 
which is, 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 is to be admired. Has it been decided about the crash with Alonso yet? I believe it was Alonso's fault because he didn't he pick up a, a, a stay where you are penalty. Where he oh, came he did, in he got and a nobody was allowed. Penalty. Yeah, nobody was allowed to touch his car, and he he was like, "Guys, why aren't you doing anything?" Because apparently nobody told him. He just came into the pits, and all his mechanics just sat there looking at him, like which like is the, brilliant because you know the gun. they're having discussions in the pit wall, going, "Right, Alonso's got a penalty. I'm not fucking telling him. <laughs> I'm not telling him either. No, I'm not going to tell him. No way am I telling him. We'll just leave him there for five seconds. He'll work it out." I do wonder if he came into the pits and suddenly thought, "I've got the power to control time. Everything stopped. I can get out and walk around and still make up positions in the race." But but no. I think he's so used to the McLaren going slowly, he didn't even notice. Ooh. Okay, so in 12, Grosjean. How, how he managed to finish after being violently rammed from behind by young Max Verstappen, I have no idea. Have you ever seen the film Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy? Classic film, I'll summarise it briefly. So, Dan Aykroyd is a wealthy city trader, Eddie Murphy is a hoodlum on the streets. And there's a bet made whether if these rich old guys called the Dukes, doesn't matter, can swap them round so their circumstances are swapped, will they revert to character or will they take in their new surroundings? And there's a great moment where Eddie Murphy, who's now in a suit, sees Dan Aykroyd, who's now in the gutter, and they say to him, oh, look at Dan Aykroyd. And he goes, well, you can't trust that kind of people. I've seen people like that. They're scum. And there's this look, and everyone watching it goes, well, this is interesting, because Eddie Murphy was a hoodlum, and now he's saying that those people are scum. And that's what happened with Grosjean. Because... So, so, so you're saying that Grosjean is Eddie Murphy? Yes, in this, he's what? Eddie Murphy, because Grosjean, for the first couple of years when he was racing, was always crashing into people, and people were like, he's dangerous. And now someone crashed into him, and he's like, hey, that guy's dangerous. And everyone goes, oh, how the worm has turned, Roman. It is a little bit like the pot calling the kettle Maldonado. That's a much easier way of saying what I just said. For, uh, for F1's sake, Formula One and dated film reviews. Well, he did, he did have a little bit of bother early on, though, because he did get a uh, five-pace grid penalty at the start for changing his gearbox, which, hasn't, it, actually, now I say it, isn't really worth keeping in, so you can edit that out. OK, in 13th, Ericsson. Qualified 18th, started 17th due to everybody else getting penalties, finished 13th, woo. In 14th, Bottas. Did Williams not bring a car this weekend? It just feels like they've turned up on a skateboard and gone, oh, we're not very good around Monaco. Did they bring the car from like two years ago when they scored no points? Yeah. Because they had an absolute nightmare. According to Rob Smedley, uh, it was a Monaco-specific issue where they were struggling all weekend with low-speed downforce or no-speed downforce. So Bottas started 16th, finished 14th, did nothing, got nowhere. Awful weekend for Williams. What has happened to Williams? In the last season, they were looking really good, and we all thought they were going to be one for the of the last top two 15 teams. 15 years, Williams have gone one year ex exciting, next year crap. Every other year, you go, oh, they can build on this, and every other year, they fuck it up. So it's just a pattern. It's fine. It's just their turn. Okay, yeah. so now we get to the did not finish Massa. Now, Williams said he had a torrid day, which I think is more fitting to say that he just had a shit day. Just didn't, it's just, what's the point? What's the point? He, he came in on lap two uh, at a ridiculously slow stop. Then was it was a lap down within within two laps. Then he had a coming together with Hulkenberg and got a puncture. Yeah, it sums up Williams' weekend, doesn't it? Really. Murphy. The Marussias. I don't know how I feel about this. In one way, we need those small teams at the back. We need the small constructors. We need Formula One to be a vibrant place. On the other side, they're spending a lot of money to do absolutely nothing. 
Like, they could just donate that money to charity and we'd see as many of their cars on the telly. They are holding on to qualification pace with their fingertips, I think. I mean, they've got no money, they've got no chance of competing with anyone, I don't think, unless Williams can continue to keep going backwards and McLaren don't get any better. It was a bit of a weird incident where, where, where Mary was apparently uh, under investigation for crossing the pit exit line and then no further action was taken, which is a bit weird because surely either he crosses it or he didn't cross it. So either somebody's trying to dob him in for something he didn't do or that's he's that, getting away with it. That's the head of marketing for Marussia going, we've got to get the mention somehow. Just tell, tell Charlie White and they went over the line. It's fine. It, it would almost have been better for them to have a massive accident because then they, they get their one sponsor which is uh, they want spots are cutting off someone's face yes <laughs> there you go that's brand recognition I don't even know can you, can you, like here's, here's one. Can you name any of Manor's Marussia's sponsors um, Tipex there's a lot of white <laughs> space on their overalls <laughs> right okay so what about Stevens one of the uh, same same thing I'll just let's repeat loop that and just drop in the name Stevens whenever he said Mary he, uh, he actually had a, a pretty, he qualified ahead of his teammate and finished quite a long way behind him, I think. He, he didn't have a very good race, but I don't know why. Um, Verstappen, he is not <laughs> perfect. Not much happened with him, had a quiet race. <laughs> so I can't remember, was it a technical problem, was it? <laughs> I, I'd like to, uh, if I may, I'd like to bring up the WhatsApp conversation that Terry Please and do. I had during the race. Terry was bemoaning the fact that Monaco uh, is always dull and he was demanding a safety car. Yep. And then there was a bit of a, they started having a bit of a battle, Verstappen and Grosjean. And uh, I quote Terry Saunders, he's going to crash, mark my words. And then he did. He's not as going to be as cocky anymore. He's walked into Formula One going, oh, hello, I'm 16 years old. I'm going to beat all of you. And now, after just, what, five races, six, whatever manner, he's now going to be thinking more carefully the next time he tries to overtake someone. His youthful exuberance is gone. It's like the time that I had a crash in go-karting. And before very, that, very I was very cocky after that. <laughs> Well, it hurts a wee for a week. <laughs> I think we could all draw it, our own it, conclusions. It, it, it was the kind of thing that we're probably going to be talking about for a few years to come, I think. I mean, it was... Let's first of all say that we're very glad that nobody was hurt. That out of the way, it was quite <laughs> an exciting crash to watch. Because he's I dicing like. and he's going in and he swipes in. And then some people are saying that Grosjean braked early. I don't know whether that's true. He might just have had old tyres and had to brake a bit early. But regardless, we'll Grosjean see. launched into the back of him, fired into the barriers with considerable vigour was all right and then literally just kind of climbed out a little bit dazed and and was faced with Alonso's car dangling in front of him which must have been a little bit strange. I love that because it's like Alonso's car was going hello. <laughs> <laughs> also if you watch the TV coverage it's just over they just replayed that crash because they had nothing else to show. And actually if you look at the cockpit coverage there's an amazing bit where if you look at the little display on Verstappen's wheel during the crash doesn't say anything doesn't say anything he crashes into the barrier comes to a stop and the, the display just goes Yellow flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the, on the subject of that, uh, if we were looking at Grosjean's car, you'll notice that uh, the Lotus have picked up a new sponsor, which is Microsoft. And uh, sure enough, it crashes. Okay, right now let's get on to where things get a bit sad. Let's get on to Alonso. He's only finished once so far this season. Has he? Because now I'm thinking, did we imagine he finished one? Was it just everyone went, I'm feeling a bit sorry for him, he's going to lose his temper, but let's just tell him he finished. <laughs> he's been the victim of some harsh luck, although he was a little bit a victim of his own downfall this time. He dinged into Hulkenberg on lap one, was given a penalty, and then his gearbox died and he just went straight on at, uh, at Sandovot, uh, was told to turn his car off because it was broken, and he must still be regretting leaving Ferrari. All right, Maldonado. 
<laughs> I don't even know what well, happened. Uh, we, well, we had a, we had a little uh, we had a little discussion in the last episode as to when Maldonado would make contact with somebody else, and I believe it was on lap one. Although you could argue that it wasn't his fault. Because we did actually make bets last one, didn't we? And uh, yeah. we were optimistic. I said twenty-two. Terry said twenty seventy-seven. And Phil, I, did you say lap two? I said it was going to be the outlap. Oh. Um, it was actually on uh, lap five when he was hit by somebody else, and it was Verstappen. So uh, uh, a little thing that something to go. Maybe that's like a symbolic passing of the torch from Crash Door Crash Donado to uh, Verkrashen, as we're calling him now. Okay, so uh, we've, we've gone through all the drivers. What else grabbed your attention at the race? I have to say, I'll never get tired of that one shot by the swimming pool of the cars zipping through left right and basically looking like any minute they're going to fly into the harbour I could watch that all day even when there's no overtaking I prefer going. the bit where Verstappen is going behind Grosjean and it looks like he's going to go flying and he does <laughs> my favourite bit was um, Alonso's really slow walk walking away from the it car was, it was a race really of slow walks with that and, and, uh, and Hamilton trying to escape from the podium <laughs> walking slowly away and having to be chased down by an FIA official I'd like to uh, I'd like to discuss the pronunciation of Monaco because I was listening to Sir Sterling Moss talking about because the race, and he doesn't call it Monaco, he yeah. calls it Monaco. What's I, that all about? I believe in the 50s they spoke different, and <laughs> it was like that kind of BBC voice, the Monaco Grand Prix. Welcome now, to Monaco! I was actually amazed how dull it was in terms of, I can't believe it took 65 laps for there to be a safety car. I really thought there was going to be I think this is a very there. interesting and serious point of... Is it because these cars aren't as grunty and as scary as they used to be that Monaco's actually quite easy? Sorry, Monaco's actually quite easy. Is now actually too easy a track? Is it like riding a, a Ford, a Ford, I was going to say a Ford Peugeot? <laughs> you know, that car Showing they made, great the Ford car Peugeot. Knowledge, yeah. yeah. So it's like driving a Ford Peugeot around a Tesco's Sainsbury's car park. <laughs> that, I, that might be, I, I don't know enough to know if that's actually the case, but it does seem that they're not as crazy twitchy as they were and this was going back to something I've talked about before is that maybe because we're now 18 months into the new regulations to start with the cars were all sliding all over the place and there was loads more talk and they were losing the back ends everywhere and now the cars have been developed by the engineers so much that they're much easier to handle and there's there's far fewer mistakes I mean it's still I've got to be honest some of the onboard stuff confirms to me that I don't think I could drive around there at any kind of speed you see I disagree I think I could <laughs> well, and we'll be bringing you that in a special feature next week <laughs> In your Peugeot. Okay, so finally, as not a lot else happened, one of the most exciting things for me were the Grid Boys. I find that very disappointing. Really? I think they were wearing too many clothes. <laughs> if we're going to be like real Grid Girls, they should have been in a pair of pants and like one of the, what the things that they spin around a nipple. Nipple tassels. I don't have strong feelings on this. I, I can't. I can't come up <laughs> I with any reason. I can't come up with any reasonable justification for keeping grid girls generally. To be honest, and if they want to change them for blokes, I've got no problem with it. Although one person who did have a problem with it was Sebastian Vettel, who uh, who said he didn't want to be looking at the the bums of Dave or George when he's getting ready for a race. So which look at, the obvious retort is, why are you looking at their bums? <laughs> I don't want to look at his fucking finger when he wins, but I had to for four years, so you don't always get what you want, Vettel. <laughs> I think it's brilliant, although I didn't think it was very Monaco. I thought Monaco would be the last place to get rid of the grid girls. I thought they'd just bring them out in ball gowns or something like that. The girls, that is, not the boys. Well, I don't know, it's a modern, it's a modern race. To be honest, Formula One is the most highly technical sport in the world. It's got the geniuses behind it who can make all these little rule changes and aerodynamic flicks. 
I think they could easily come up with some kind of tripod on wheel system. That means you don't have to have someone holding the sign. Every team has to come up with yeah. like a sort of Johnny Five style. Or just even, even just like a little, a little lit up display that appears above the car. You don't, Holograms. So I, I would say actually, you don't need anyone to hold the signs. Well, in, in these days of sort of increasing, increasing technical regulations and restrictions on the engineers, maybe that should be where they can do anything they want. Any kind of display for their driver in front of the car before the race, they can do. It'd be like Robot Wars, but with millions of pounds and carbon fiber. Love it. So, so better would go back to just having a woman there. Yeah, probably. Okay, You'd have so 30k to whatever his uh, yeah, car name I've was. Christened, I've christened my grid girl Slutty Whore. Okay, so we're going to have some more after this. Okay, so we're back and some other Formula One news now. So Terry, Alonso said that he wished he drove in the Senna era. What is that about? Well, of course he wishes he was in the Senna era because he thinks he would be Senna in the Senna era. But he wouldn't be because Senna was Senna in the Senna era. So what would be happening is he would be coming maybe second to a guy who won all the championships. Which, hang on, is exactly the area he's been driving in where Vettel's won all the championships the last couple of years. So basically... He is in the Senna era, it's called the Alonso era, but actually it's the Vital era, so screw him. I'm of the opinion that, that actually, this might be controversial, I think that Alonso is probably the best driver we've seen in F1 since Senna, and I include the likes of Schumacher in that. He's just been really unlucky in gaining crap cars. Yeah, but he's just not been lucky, he might be the best driver, but for all we know, Pierluigi Martini was the best driver, or Andrea De Cesaris, oh, we just didn't get a chance. Okay, the, the, clearly those two that were not the best drivers, but there could be a driver like Alessandro Nanini. He was great. He lost his arm yeah. in a helicopter crash. <laughs> right, so in happier news, we found out this week that Formula One is financially fucked. Phil, Autosport have run the numbers. What do they tell us? Yeah, a very interesting uh, article published by uh, Autosport on their website by Dieter Renkin, which breaks down FOM, uh, Formula One management payment figures. Uh, and the background as to how things ended up so completely ridiculous as they are now. Basically, CVC, who are the investment company that own FOM, ended up with the commercial rights. At least I think they own FOM. This is how complicated it is. There's so many sub-companies, I don't really know how to do it. Basically, CVC calls shots. They're a big investment company. They're in it for the money. They ended up with the commercial rights after they obtained them through some banks when the media company that used to own them collapsed. They came to the banks and CVC got hold of them. CVC's big plan is to float F1 on the stock exchange. Uh, as they did with Samsonite, they made a load of money and then they got out and they don't care what happens to Samsonite now. For that to work, they need uh, a product that people will want to buy shares in. And like so a suitcase. Like a suitcase, like yeah. a really good and surprisingly expensive, when you look to see if you might buy one, suitcase. And so for in order to do that, they need a long-term proposition that people will invest in. And th so they've decided they need long-term contracts from the big teams, your Ferraris, your McLarens, and recently your Red Bulls. And so to sort of convince them to stay for a long time and commit to a certain number of years, they offered financial incentives. They offered them more money for not just winning in a particular year, but based on previous performance, and in Ferrari's case, just for being Ferrari. Consequently, you would think in a sporting situation that if you do well, you'll get more money than people that don't do so well. But that is not at all the case now. Uh, the, the article breaks down how much the teams earn on average over recent years by points, and it's absolutely scandalous. I mean, somebody like Williams earns, I think, less than a third of what somebody like Ferrari earns uh, per point. 
and it's making things a bit of a nightmare, especially for the smaller teams who essentially have absolutely no chance of ever making any money, which is bad news for the likes of Marussia. And eventually, CVC are going to sell. Uh, they're going to they're going to put it on the stock exchange. They would have done it earlier, were it not for Bernie's debacle with the uh, with the German courts when they decided mm, maybe we'll leave it a bit. So, Terry, is that why the FIA are looking for help? Yeah, because they, the FIA cannot admit that they have totally pissed in the drinking water. So what they're doing is going, customer cars are a very real threat now in that we may have the big team supplying a, a, a lower team with cars. So the whole idea of a constructor goes. So the way the FIA deals with that is going, hey, everyone, look over there. We might do refueling. And everyone's like, oh, no, not refueling. I can't do refueling. I hate it. I love it. I love refueling. I hate refueling. Whilst quietly, they're over there stabbing the small teams in the back. And then when we look around, they were like, oh, look, all the small teams have died. Oh, God, what happened? This is more example of the complete fuckwittery that results in all this nonsense, which is the, the meeting of the strategy group that happened this month, which is what you're alluding mm. to, which is where the big teams who get all the money meet and decide how the rules should be made. And obviously, they'll just basically, A, fight amongst each other and get nothing of substance done. And even if they do, they'll be defending their big status and not letting any of the smaller teams have a piece of the pie because they like having lots of money. Uh, fantastically... So the, 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 one of the things that came up in this meeting last week is going, Red Bull want an extra engine for the year because they've screwed all their engines. But this meeting has to be agreed by the other teams. So Mercedes is there going, well, we haven't screwed our engines, so why would we want an extra one? Let me uh, just, but, let me oh, just oh, consult no. amongst ourselves. Should we give them a... Hmm, maybe we could... No, let's not. But they're also, they're also trying to keep us happy. And uh, can you tell us about that crowdsourcing thing? They are that? not trying to keep us happy. So the FIA want to put a questionnaire out to all Formula 1 fans saying, hey Formula 1 fans, uh, we really care about your opinion, which is why we spent 20 quid on an app, but um, would you like to maybe give us your view of what Formula 1 should be? Because, hey man, we, we really give a shit about your, what you think. And then everyone will go, oh, I want refueling, oh, I don't want refueling, I want big tyres, oh, it would be great if cars like were like they used to be when I was young and had a chance with women before I married someone and fell into this kind of pit of ageing and, and realising that my life isn't worth living anymore, I didn't but ask when I was this. 19 I loved Formula 1, and that's not going to happen, because Formula 1 fans haven't got a clue of what we want. If there's I'm one thing I've learned in my life is that the public are idiots. Yeah. I mean, I'm all it takes is a look at the BBC comments pages to determine that. Exactly. I love Formula One. If, if they implemented all of my ideas, each other idea contradicts the laughs so beautifully, there would just be a pile of screws in the middle of the track going, we don't know what to do. None of these rules make sense. I thought you guys would be a lot more um, optimistic about that, but obviously I not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've filled in the questionnaire <laughs> and I've given my ideas. I just think it's a terrible idea. So cardboard rear wings are not likely to be a new thing then. <laughs> well, the outcome of this meeting of the strategy group, of which there were frankly precious few, is uh, they, they failed completely to make any decisions on whether they should put in any cost cuts, which was a long-running thing that seems no no more likely to, uh, to, but to look, finish. But refueling! <laughs> Nobody cares. They got rid of refueling a few years ago because A, it's boring and it just means no. It, it means even more opportunities to overtake in the pit lane as opposed to on the track because why would you risk overtaking on the track uh, when you can just play with pay with refueling strategy it means less on track action less excitement they ditched it a few years ago because it was rubbish it's also a safety point of view because you know everyone remembers Verstappen's dad going up in smoke in 94 
Uh, and then there's the cost implications. One of the reasons they got rid of it was because it's bloody expensive to fly refueling rigs and fuel all over the uh, okay. all over the rule uh, world. And, and now they've brought it back again. And it's stupid. And everyone's stupid. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. Okay, right on that note, finally, a lot of people have been feeling Eccleston's wrath this week. We've had McLaren. They were He was grumpy at them that their drives didn't go to his party. Did what? you hear that? They, uh, so he's just going, oh, you said you'd come, but you didn't. So, <laughs> you know. Would you want to go to an 83-year-old or have all the year's birthday party? Yeah. It's not going to be kicking, is it? Uh, he said to Rosberg that he wasn't good for the business. That's why sometimes you've got to love Buddy Eccleston, because he said to Rosberg's face, no one really likes you. And Hamilton, he's a great world champion. He does a lot of stuff. No one, and, he, and he's like, oh, but, you know, I'm a good driver. Ah, fuck off. He speaks but, a lot of languages. But Rosberg also said he wasn't going to change, so that was that one lost on him. And Wolf, um, he was really cross with him about the Hamilton fiasco. Eccleston needs him to fuck up, otherwise it was a boring race. The thing with Eccleston is you've always got to take the opposite of what he says. So when he says... Oh, you shouldn't have fucked up. He's like, why didn't you fuck up earlier? I think it's really nice of, of Bernie to, uh, to, to to provide that kind of feedback. You know, he's been in F1 a long time. He knows the strategies. I think if he hadn't told Mercedes that they'd fucked up, they perhaps wouldn't have realised. <laughs> he had the idea of having water sprinklers on the track a couple of years ago to spice up a race. I think instead, this is his new thing. He's just going, I've got, the, I've got voodoo power to make a team fuck up at will. Uh. <laughs> I think for one year, they should... They should just put all of Bernie's wacky ideas over the last 25, 30 years and enact them all for one season only. Maybe like the, the, an anniversary season. They do. It's happens. called NASCAR. Right, on that note, <laughs> the Canadian Grand Prix is on the 6th of June. Can I have your predictions, please, gentlemen? I think that Lewis Hamilton will win the race. Dominantly, and dare I say it, quite boringly. I concur with that. Hamilton's uh, always gone very well at Canada. Apart from that time he ran into Jensen Button, I think he'll do very well. And on the subject of Jensen Button, I think he'll score points again because he seems to like Canada as well. He's done. He's won that race before, at least once or twice, I think. I'm going to step in and say Hamilton's a broken man now. I reckon this, this has knocked him down. I don't think he can come back from this. So you think old Hamilton, where if something bad happens, he's in assault for a month? Interesting, it could happen. It's going to go all passive-aggressive on us. This is the big test of the new world champion, Hamilton, because before, you'd say he'd definitely do that. Now, I don't think he will, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. So, let's this is going to be interesting. Let's see what 30-year-old Hamilton does. I think it's going to be much more exciting, because Canada is a track that, uh, that has much more overtaking potential. It's a much more interesting track, racing-wise, than Monaco. I think it's going to throw up some cool racing, and we're going to have an exciting race with stuff going on and lots of cool breaking down into the, on the end of that long straight before the pits and I just hope people crashing into the wall. Down. I just want it to really... Well, we haven't had a wet race yet this year, have we? No, I don't think we have. No. no, I want it to bloody rain. Real bloody rain. Terry, you've got some ideas here for predictions. Well, I think we should also predict other things that aren't just who's going to win. I think what I said was who's going to do the podium interviews? Uh, Renegade Bandersnatch. What? Renegade Bandersnatch, the actor from Star Trek. Oh, Benedict Dickwad. I can't stand that man. <laughs> I've been that you've made absolutely no attempt to play on his name. <laughs> Just called him a Dickwad. <laughs> I said his first name, Benedict Dickwad. It has been a weird policy of who they choose to do the, the interviews. It well, seems to vary between whoever's the most famous celebrity there, or if they've got no one, actually somebody who knows what they're talking about. Well, it's either... David Coulthard, Eddie Jordan or Martin Brundle are the kind of backup team. 
and then the girl from not, Italian Sky sometimes all Italian Sky guy from German TV with the stupid jackets or they go for a celebrity so we had Arnold Schwarzenegger was it in Australia Paula Radcliffe was at Monaco maybe they'll ask her was she? yes did she do the interview? no no but I reckon <laughs> she'll go to Canada and did she go for a wee at tobacco? <laughs> so we need a famous Canadian who's going to be the famous Canadian who's going to be Brian Adams Jim Carrey's Canadian isn't he? Yes, he is. It's Jim Carrey. Okay, so for this prediction, so what we're saying is for the podium interviews, who did you say, Terry? Jim Carrey. Okay, Phil? I'm saying a, re- a return by Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, I'm going to say Justin Bieber. Nice. <laughs> no. You never know. No. If it's Justin Bieber, I'm not watching F1 again, and we can Ever. start an IndyCar podcast or a, or a NASCAR podcast or a British Touring Car podcast. I'm not sure we can carry on this podcast because... I am a believer, and <laughs> I find that quite offensive. Next thing, sixth place. I think that's that gets out of the way. The Mercedes, the Ferraris, and a couple of others. Who finishes sixth? Ricardo. Ricardo. Raikkonen. Raikkonen. I'm going to go for Verstappen. What? Ooh. Hang on. Ooh. <laughs> you, you just said he was going to be crying at the back. This is exactly <laughs> why you cannot trust Formula One fans to come up with the rules because I changed my mind on a sixpence. Just making it up as you exactly. go along. It doesn't matter. Okay, next. Who will qualify eighth? Qualify eighth? Yeah. Grosjean. Oh, nice. Sainz. I'm going for Alonso. Ooh. Oh. Wow, that is controversial. At Canada, a high-speed track where the engine's important, you have faith in Honda. Honda are going to put two engines in the car. <laughs> Okay, next. How many safety cars in Canada? I really want. I just want to know. Just a question. What? Does yeah. this include virtual safety car? Oh, we haven't talked about that. No. Do you know what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to say two then. Do you want to break it down as well? One of each or two of one? You no, know, one of each. One, one of, of each. each. Okay. Canada's not a track where you'd initially think safety car, but when they do crash at Canada, it's a really big one. Yeah. So I'm going to say one, and it will be a real one. I'm going to go for two safety cars plus 48 virtual safety cars and lastly who's going to be the driver steward so when every race we have an ex-Formula 1 driver being the fourth steward who's it going to be? Tom Christensen do you know who Tom Christensen is? absolutely no idea and I'm not entirely sure that is his name he's because the most I famous really driver in Le Mans history Danish retired last year yeah he's the, he's the most successful driver in ever in uh, Le Mans he's won like a bajillion times the Le Mans 24 hours which goes right. back to what I was saying before no matter how good you're at Le Mans no one knows who the fuck you are hey 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 here you tested for some F1 team once in about 1999 exactly I think we all love I think on his home turf it's going to be Jacques Villeneuve and he's just going to dish out penalties to everyone because he hates everyone and criticises everyone I'm going to go for Derek Warwick okay so that is it that is the end of this edition of For F1's Sake feel free to tell us how wrong we are by emailing us at wrong at ff1s.com or tweet us at a underscore F1 podcast from me Chica Phil and Terry Goodbye. Au revoir until Canada. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.